Praise God. Whew. You know, I had this sense this week. Sometimes you're preparing for service and God gives you a sense of what he wants to do. And I'm like, I always, I felt all along this week that God was going to shift the order of things. And that's okay. Amen. Because yeah. <laughs> we come here to meet with him. I don't know about you, but I want to encounter Jesus. And I think he comes in a special way when we're together as God's people uh, in his presence. Amen. And so I'm just excited this morning about all that God's doing and want to share some things on my heart as we are in this Christmas season. I hope you haven't eaten too much and spent too much, but that's, that's what we do this time of year. Amen. And, uh, Uh, I know this year has been different, just a little bit. Pandemic, economic catastrophes, civil unrest, and icing on the cake, a disputed election. So we have all that going for us, and this season is even different than we normally have Christmas. Because normally this time of year, we have some sort of pageant or program or musical that we're going to, and we're bouncing here and here and there for our kids' plays and our school musicals. And so this year, Grace, her school did this awesome thing. They, they did like this virtual choir, and they made it work. It was amazing. And, uh, but it's still not the same, right? You got to go up and see all the kids up there on the, on the platform and them doing goofy things, and, and uh, it's just fun. It's awesome. So I, I, I will share with you, since we don't have that this year, I'll share with you one of my cherished memories from my time growing up, growing up here at Christ Rock Fellowship. Yeah, she knew it. You know, Joy, I was trying to find the pictures, but I couldn't. So that might be part of the 40th anniversary, so don't miss that. So I'm just going to give, I'm going to paint the picture for you this morning. It was about right here. And there was four of us. Late high school, early 90s, and uh, it was the grunge period in the Seattle area, if anyone knows what that means. Young people are like, I don't even know what you're talking about, Pastor. All right. <laughs> the grunge period, and we had uh, four of us, and we were called the Dead Shepherds. And we had, we had full-on wigs, and we had our guitars, and we had all sorts of gear on, and uh, we sang that song. So if you can just imagine, it was me and Tim Hecker and Steve North and Matt. Matt, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, that was right. The four of us. So I was just having that memory and that recollection of all these different Christmas plays. And that one stands out to me because, uh, I don't know, it's something about the wigs and the band. And it was just good times. So um, eventually we'll get you the video because we have it somewhere in our, our archives. If, if I just gave it to Pray, all right. So it's coming. <laughs> I've been reading a book on uh, humility, and it says to embrace humiliation. So, <laughs> so we'll throw that video up, and you'll see some great moments from, from my past. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Oh, praise God. Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for you, Jesus. So grateful for your presence this morning, your healing, your touching lives in this place. Lord, we just uh, incline our ears to you this morning. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what you're saying. I pray you'd speak uh, fresh to each and every person in this place this morning. You're the voice we long to hear. 
your word is life, Lord. It brings health to our bodies. So, Lord, we receive it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. One of my favorite passages this time of year in the Bible about the Magi, and I, I believe I've probably preached on it before, so if there's a little bit of repeat here, that's okay. But I, I just want to share some things the Lord put on my heart from this story. And we read in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And I, I really felt this morning that there would be a special release in worship. And there was, and there is, and there's going to be, amen? Um, but it's such a fascinating story because you can just read that passage and just leave it without questioning some things. Like, really, who are these men from the East? We have all sorts of traditions around this. So I want to I wanna give you a little bit of perspective on this. And it says, in the days of Herod the king. So maybe we should start with the conditions of the world that Jesus came into. The conditions of the world that Jesus came into were a little bit crazy. We're a little bit, uh, there's some upheaval going on because his coming is disruptive. It's disruptive to the world and it's disruptive to our lives in a good way when we receive him. And that's what this series has been all about, receiving the king. And so in the days of Herod the king, so Herod was known as Herod the Great, and in many ways he deserved this title. He was the only ruler of Palestine who ever succeeded in keeping the peace and in bringing order into disorder. He was known as a great builder whom the temple, uh, under whom the temple of Jerusalem was built, and he was even at times generous, lowering taxes for the Jews in times of famine and need. But he had this really bad flaw in his character, just a little bit. He was slightly, insanely suspicious. And my, my kids would say, sus. They would say, sus. And he was suspicious of those around him who, and would kill anyone who threatened his throne. And so he had, he had uh, or who, who appeared as a rival to his throne, I should say. He had already murdered his wife. Her mother, that's not good for marriages, by the way, and three of his own sons. So naturally, the idea of someone coming in to threaten his kingdom as king of the Jews was not good. So to Herod, Jesus was a threat. Then there's the Magi, and you've got to wonder who these characters are. There's been so much mystery and tradition and things around them, so... Scripture doesn't give us much, so we have to gather some things from history. But they were believed to be Persian priests who studied astronomy, astrology, and natural science. And they were skilled in philosophy and medicine. They served in royal courts throughout the ancient Near Eastern world um, and were regarded as valuable advisors. So these are the people to whom God's star comes and is revealed. And I want you to see their expectation because they're coming to Jerusalem to worship and they are 
saying we are here to worship him who is the king of the Jews, which implies there was an expectation, which implies that there was something in their hearts that had already been awakened to the fact that to the truth that the king had come. Why would they have known that that star, these are just questions I ask when I read scripture. I, you know, I've, I've had friends who say that sometimes you read scripture and there's things and you go like, there's something else there. So they'll write, my friend writes this, he goes, MH, there's more here. There's more here. And that's a reminder to come back and begin to dig there because there's more to this story. God wants to unveil something, reveal something to us. And so... God had disrupted the heavenly order. So they understand because they were astrologers, they studied, and astronomers, they studied the stars. And they tried to understand what the heavenlies meant for their future and for, for their destiny. And as they studied the stars, they saw a disruption in the heavenly order when this star appears. And then it meant, and since all men in that time believed in, many men in that time believed in astrology, foretelling the future from the stars and believing a man's destiny was settled by the star under which he was born. Not to mention at that time, there was an eager expectation all over this part of the world that there was going to be a man or men coming out of Judea who would rule the world. And so this is the expectation that is beginning to take place in the hearts of men as Jesus comes forth in the earth. And know this this morning, that expectation is a place that God can show up in. Expectation, I've said it before, those who expect nothing will get nothing. Come on, somebody. So there's an expectancy in our heart to believe that God wants to do something great. And guess what? This morning you saw that work as the Holy Spirit begins to brood over us and begins to uh, manifest his presence in this place. People's hearts begin to awaken and then they come forward to receive because there's an expectancy. And so when God shows up, it's in response many times to expectancy. And there was a, it was already in their hearts. He was breaking forth into a waiting world. But remember last week where I said this, and, we, and Pastor John preached two weeks ago, out of John chapter 1, he said, he came to his own, and they received him not. But to as many as received him who had believed on his name, he gave the right to become a child of God in John chapter 1. So it's about receiving the king, and it's not to the Pharisees that this revelation comes. It's not to Herod that this revelation comes, but it is to a people, a Gentile people, in a distant land who he who reveals himself to. Isn't that amazing? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And then it says, where does this expectation come from? It's possible that these magi as they came from the Parthian Empire, located in present-day Iran. In this region, there were remnants of Jewish culture that lingered from the Babylonian captivity. Because they were men of wisdom who studied Scripture, who studied all the writings and the ancient writings, it's, so, it's quite possible they read those prophetic Scriptures in the Old Testament or were told about them, and that began to raise their curiosity. But based on the fact that they had already made this journey, we know they believed it. And we'll get into that more. 
So I want to take a moment this morning and just recognize something. Just as in this moment, in this story, we see that uh, there was a heavenly disruption in the order of things. Can we acknowledge this year there's been a disruption in some order in our life? Come on. Things that used to be normal. Are, we, we, all, we all have this thing in us that wants to get back to normal. Normal bias Normal bias, I think, is what they call it, right? We want to get back to normal, whatever that is. And I've just been told this, that normal is only a sitting, setting on a dishwasher. It's all relative, right, what your normal is. We have, we have weird traditions. Some of you guys have weird traditions in your family that are normal to you. This time of year, but... But we want to get back to normal. And so we kept thinking, I don't know about you, throughout the year, like, oh, this is going to end now, and then we're going to get back to normal, and then it, something else came. Oh, yeah, then this is going to pass, and then we're going to get back to normal, and then somebody else came. And there was this hope that just kept getting deferred because we're not getting back to normal. The order has been disrupted. And so I think it's... In these moments, like these wise men, we have to take a step back and go, God, what are you doing? What are you saying in the midst of this? What are the signs of the times? Come on. What are the signs of the season that we're in? Because this star represented a shift in the season. A new time in history was dawning. It was the bright and morning star that Jesus had arrived. And so... When we see the signs, are we listening, are we paying attention, or are we trying to go back to our normal life and missing what God's trying to say? And I've heard this multiple times. I've heard Christians telling me stories of non-Christians reaching out to them and saying, hey, what, what do you think this is all about? Everything we're going through, what do you think this is all about? Can you, can you just tell me, and the, they'll listen in to their sermons, or I want to hear your message. People who are unbelievers, who are coming to Christians and saying, I want, I, want to, I want to hear what you're saying. Why? Because they're curious. They see that something shifted, the order's been disrupted, and they go, what is God saying? There's a curiosity. Why? They want prophetic insight. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, that without vision we perish. And that vision speaking to prophetic insight, revelation of who Christ is. And so in the midst of a hopeless, dark time, people want that light. Are you with me this morning? That revelation. And so here comes the light of the star. I want to just say this, that God will go to extraordinary measures, extraordinary links to reveal himself to those who are seeking him. God will go to extraordinary measures to reveal himself to those who are seeking him. That he would disrupt the heavenly order for the sake of this announcement. And understand, many all over that area saw that same star and just missed it. That's what's implied here. That only the seeking heart, only the hungry heart, only the heart that's after truth would see the revelation of this. And it's interesting what the Bible says about these stars. Not only were there heavenly beings deployed to deliver the message to the shepherds, but a star was designated to be assigned to those who were afar off. I love our God. 
We read, when we read the account of Christ's coming, we can only conclude this, that he sent his son with an exclamation point. Come on. It was disruptive, but it was powerful. It was hope. It was salvation. Genesis 1.14 says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let, there be a sign, let them be for signs. Somebody say signs. And for seasons, and for days, and for years. This prophetic sign in the heavenly signals a change in season. This star was a light. And this word in the Old Testament means light bearers or luminaries. Ooh. Come on, somebody. Do we have some light bearers in the house? They see that light and they're going, I'm going to, I want what they have. I want to follow them to meet the king. Who was that star and that light that led you to the king? How, how many had somebody come in your life and bring a testimony of who Jesus is? A light bearer. Psalm 19, 1 through 4 says this, For the choir director, a psalm of David, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. The voice is not heard. Their line has gone throughout all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun. Now understand, the heavens are speaking to us. The heavens are speaking to us. And they spoke to these wise men, these magi, in this moment. And here's, here's the thing. We're so busy and we're so distracted, would we even see it if there was a sign in the heavenlies? Would we see it? Not in the Northwest, yeah. God would really have to disrupt some order and come down to a lower altitude. Seriously, break through our darkness, God. Anything is possible, that's right. Praise God. This, we, we're going to make an interactive sermon this morning. Come on. Um, this was a shift from the season of being under the law to the new covenant. Come on. You know, the book of Matthew is really that bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Matthew's, Matthew's emphasis in his entire book is to declare Jesus the king of the Jews. The king. He fulfilled all the prophecies. He proves in Scripture to the Jews, this is him. This is the one you've been waiting for. 400 plus prophecies fulfilled in this man's life. 19 of 29 fulfilled in just 24 hours in the book of Matthew. This is him. This is the one you've been waiting for. He says. So I want to say, I want to this morning take a few moments just to recognize some things that we can learn from the Magi this morning. Number one is believing on him. Say, praise God, pastor, I already did that. How many know you keep believing on him? (laughs) It's we're going from faith to faith. We're going, I hope your faith today is greater than your faith was yesterday. These magi had an expectation of a coming king based on ancient scriptures Writings, possibly based on other testimonies. Whatever the case, they had little revelation 
but a whole lot of belief. Now, I'll contrast that to what we have today. Because you can be around the things of God. Come on. You can be in church a lot. I'm saying this as somebody who was. You can, you can, you can memorize and quote Scripture and yet be lacking the light. Because it's not a reality. Faith comes by, Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So this is... They had heard some word. They would seen what God had done in the heavenlies. And they had heard him speaking through what they saw. Are you with me? The message of the heavenlies. And it's similar to what God told Abraham in chapter 15 of Genesis where he says this. And he took him outside and says, now look towards the heavens. Some of us need to have one of those moments where God just takes us outside and says, look up. Look up. Take me out of my current, present circumstances, whatever it may be, and take a moment to just take in what God wants to show us. He says, look and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Praise God. Count the stars. This word is kephar, and it means to count, recount, relate, declare, and rehearse. I'm just going to say this. That is what faith looks like in our life we count what god has done come on it says forget not his blessings benefits we recount them then we relate them we begin to share what god's done come on through the communication the bible says in, in philemon chapter uh, verse six he says i pray that the communication of your faith may become more effective through the knowledge of what's in you for Christ's sake. See, God's put some good stuff in you, and as you begin to read Scripture and understand what Christ has put in your life, you begin to grow in your ability to share that with others. Relate your faith. Then he says, that word also means to declare. We have to declare what we believe. Ben, can I share a moment? Okay, thank you. You could charge me like my kids do, for examples. <laughs> I think you're more expensive than them. I'm, I'm going to be careful there. Um, he came up to me, and he's, he's sharing that uh, he went through COVID. Praise God, he's over it. Thank you for that, Lord. But he said on the other side, I've, I've experienced some things, and there's some lingering effects, and these may go on for months. And you know what I said? I said, what would you just say? What would you just say? You mean you're healed in Jesus' name. Come on. I said, you can say what you have or you can have what you say. I want to, say, I want to have what God says I have. Come on. And I want to say what he says about the situation. And the Lord says, by, my, by his stripes we are healed. And so I shared that and, and, and just to encourage him. Not to condemn him, because we've all done it, right? We've all gotten to our position where we're talking about what we are going through, and we just speak about the circumstances instead of speaking to the circumstances and declaring. 
So there's something to be said about our declaring and rehearsing the right things. We, so it's common we can rehearse the bad things. We can go over and over and over again the bad things in our life. Or we can begin to rehearse the goodness of God and his faithfulness and his promises and what he's spoken to us. Amen? I'm going to rehearse the good things. The message to Abraham was twofold. He would have natural descendants through Isaac. And then secondly, his descendants would be many like the stars. But Paul comes back in Galatians and said, not seeds, seed, who is Christ. So get this. Abraham looked at the stars and saw the message of the seed to come. Let me show you that. Let me show you is what God said. Step outside. Let me show you something about what I have, your destiny, your purpose, because God was revealing it through the heavenlies because they were speaking forth day after day, night after night. Come on, somebody. Just as Abraham had the revelation of the gospel through God, God showed him in the heavenlies, so the Magi had the revelation of the arrival of the long-awaited king of the Jews. And their faith was not a faith without works. Why do we know that? Because this was a long journey. That expectation led them to move in the direction that God was leading them. I'm going to say that again. That expectation led them to move in the direction that God was leading them. How many know expectation determines conduct? Here's an example. Friday morning. Anyone have some young people in your house, little ones? What time do you expect them to be up? What time are they going to be up? It's going to be early. My son's up early every morning, but even worse on Christmas. We are not sleeping in on Christmas. Are you with me? But his conduct, <laughs> there comes a season when you have that privilege, yes. We are long from that season. But the expectation determines the conduct. Do you see that? I'm going to get some gifts this morning, so I'm waking up early. Now flip that around. After New Year's, and they're going back to school. The behavior changes on the morning that school starts again, right? Expectation determines conduct. So... When we expect something from the Lord, there's a conduct that goes with it. There's a following. There's a, there's a works that follows faith. Are you with me? They traveled. They moved in the direction that God was asking them to go. So one, they believed in it. Two, they seek him is what we see in their lives. They were seekers. They asked the question, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? Where is he? Where is he? They had already been seeking him. It was evident by the way they responded they weren't the only ones to see that star. You know that the Romans also noted a celestial event, it's said in various histor historical accounts, but they interpreted the same event as a tribute not to the king of kings, but to their king, Augustus Caesar. So they saw the same thing and had a different interpretation. You've had those moments. We have those in marriage, right? <laughs> We saw, we experienced the same thing, but we walked away with two different conclusions, and that's, praise God. What was your perspective on that? Because I saw this. 
But maybe God is wanting to do something and we miss it because we are interpreting it the wrong way. And when you have a heart to seek him, see, see, here's what happens. You want to get the right interpretation of what God's trying to say. You put your heart, the compass of your heart in the right place and you will get it. How do I know that? Because the seeking heart will find him. I said, the seeking heart will find him. This is his promise in Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near, is the exhortation to us. In Jeremiah 29, 13, it even says, he, and you will seek him and find me. Seek me and find me when you search for me. What? With all your heart. Now, how many know if you're going to set out on a maybe thousand mile journey from a far east land to see this king there's some heart in that that's a long journey some say it may have taken months some say it may take we don't know how long it took matt matthew 6 says but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you i want to quote aw tozer he says this complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth it's from the pursuit of God. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. Did you hear that? Acute desire. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so very long in vain. Ouch. Those are those piercing words. Those are, that's one of those books you have to read slowly, small bites at a time. Let's go to Matthew 2. So 2, he's seek, seeking him and believing in him. In verse 3, it goes on. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what they, has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem land of judah are by no means least among the leaders of judah for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people israel then herod secretly called the magi and determined from them this exact time this star appeared and he sent them to bethlehem and said go and search carefully for the child and when you have found him report to me so that i too may come and worship him sneaky then verse 9 says, After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. So thirdly, they followed him. Thirdly, they followed him. And so we see in this, again, a troubled people, Troubled masses. Why are they troubled? Why is the world troubled by Jesus showing up? Because he's asking this. His showing up means we have to move away from the world to be separate. He threatens a Herod because there's another king that supersedes his throne. He threatened, he is, but the other response is that of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and those religious rulers whose response was pretty much indifference. Because they asked, he gathers them all together and he says, where's this king going to be born? They know, but they don't go. Are you with me? 
They're six miles away from Bethlehem, and they don't go. They don't go. You can be so near to the things of God and miss out on what he's doing. You can know the scriptures, but not move in the direction God's moving you by his word. They knew the scriptures, but they didn't move. Let that not be us. Yet these magi had a small portion of that revelation and moved a long ways to find the king. They left their old lives behind. Let me just say this. The journey is long. This journey of faith is not a sprint. It's a marathon. This journey of faith requires perseverance. They were not deterred by obstacles, natural or otherwise. They were not deterred by the religious and the powerful fear of men. They moved in God's direction. The key difference between the Magi and the chief priests is that they accurately understood Scripture, but they failed to apply it to their lives. Jesus goes on later to say in John 5, 39 to these religious leaders, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. These scriptures that you read, they point to me. I am the word become flesh. I am the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. That's why Hebrews 1 says that in past times he spoke to the fathers through the prophets in various portions. Portions. But in this time he has spoken to us in his son. The person of Jesus. The fullness of him. The the express radiance of who he is. His character, his nature is all revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. But they missed it. Following him requires we not only hear the word, but we be doers of the word. Many times we are waiting for all the details of our journey. How many like that? Give me the turn-by-turn directions, God, of where you want me to go. I want all the details of the path that's in front of me. What he does is he gives you enough light for the next step. Psalm 119, 105 says that he's a light to my feet, a lamp unto my path. A lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. So I've got enough light. It's a foot lamp that gives me enough light for the next step. Now these magi had come. They had a revelation. They had the star that got them there. But they needed that last six-mile turn. And the address was in Micah 5-2. Out of Bethlehem shall come this ruler. Out of Bethlehem. They were close, but they weren't quite there. They needed the next light. And the Bible says that then the light, that star appeared again. It appeared again. And upon seeing it, they exceedingly rejoiced. They exceedingly rejoiced because here it is. Here's, that's where the king is. That's where the king is. Don't stop in Jerusalem. Don't stop in Jerusalem. Get to the house. Amen? We need a little further light. So, number three, they followed him. And let's read on. 
Verse 10 through 12, almost done. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, come on, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Some of you have probably repeated these verses in a play at some point or another. You've heard them over and over again, but have you thought about these gifts? They're profound. And having been warned by God and dreamed not to return to Herod, that magi, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Fourthly and lastly, they worshipped him. We've come to worship him. That's why we're here. That's what a king deserves is worship. Worship. And for them, worship meant this. Worship among the Orientals, the Persians, to fall upon the, knee, the knees, touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. I want you to see they found the house because the baby was in the house. Some, some accounts will say that he was in the stable, but this was such a long journey, many historians believe it, it, he had already moved to a different location. Whatever the case, what was their expectation? They had been in royal courts. They had seen kings, palaces, amazing get-ups, right? Come on. And they knew a king was being born. But what happens when you're going, following a star, and you come to a house, not a palace? That destination looked different than what they expected, I'm sure. Some of us have experienced that in life, right? Big expectations, and then you get there, and it's like, what, really? This ain't a king's place. This is a, this is a small house. What do we do? But God finds, but if we have the right heart, if we have the seeking heart, if we have the heart after the Lord, what happens is you find the Lord in that place. He's not in the places where men would expect. That's not where this king would be. He's in a humble abode. And humble people who will set their hearts on him will find him where he's at. Praise God. Psalm 86, 9. Can I have the worship team come? This, I feel like as we are looking at their worship, we should be doers. Come on, somebody. Amen? All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. There was nothing kingly. I want you to imagine just for a moment. They come into this house. There's the baby or infant or toddler. I don't know what age he was at this point, but there's nothing in the natural that says this is the king. This is the one you've been looking for. Because it takes the eyes of faith to see who he really would, was and would be. It takes the eyes of faith to see it. And so, th so this is the essence in worship, is that you may not see it, but as you open your heart to him and you bow before him, the revelation of him in your heart begins to open, grow. 
And as it grows, then the essence of worship is not me coming to the Lord saying, I need you, although there's a place for that. But the worship of the King is a worship that declares and agrees with who He is. I'm going to say that again. The worship of the King is a worship that declares and agrees with who He is. And so the first thing they brought was gold. And first I want you to see that gold is costly, obviously. It speaks of a worship that costs us something. David in Chronicles says, I don't want to give any worship to the Lord that doesn't cost me something. And I look at, these guys have already paid the price of making this long journey. And yet they also brought gold for a king. Something costly. But this gold also speaks to the royalty of who he is. Because the king deserves the gold. Refined. The gold speaks of something that's been refined in fire. A life that's given to him as a living sacrifice that's been offered on the altar. And that consuming fire of his presence comes and it burns away, it refines us. All the dross is removed. Silver or gold, but something valuable that we give is our lives. That's the most valuable thing I can give to the king is my whole self. Amen? Frankincense. He's our high priest. The son of man. He is the perfect priest because he's both perfectly human and perfectly God. Come on. In his humanity, he can take us to God. And in his Godhead, he can take God to us. He's our high priest. And Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Can we stand to our feet this morning? I wonder if we could just take this last period of time in, in this service just worship the king just give him our all or everything lastly was the myrrh and see myrrh was one of those ingredients in the anointment of the dead signified his death his sacrifice for us so in that worship was a testimony of who he was and who he would be. The king, the priest, the prophet, Jesus, Lord of Lords, are all in all. As we worship him, we bring him gifts in the understanding of who he is. Can we just lift our hands this morning and let's just open our hearts to him. He's already here and 
Lord, we acknowledge you, King of kings, Lord of lords, our great high priest. And Lord, we say this morning, to worship you, we live. To worship you, we live. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our honor. You're worthy of our entire lives to be given to you as a living sacrifice, Jesus. So we offer to you ourselves, we offer to you our praise, worship, thanksgiving in this house. We acknowledge you as King of Kings over every part of our lives, Jesus. Go ahead and sing that. Let's just lift our voice to him this morning. 